This is episode 6-1 of Free as in Freedom. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. Well, we're not exactly on schedule, as we should be. With recording this oddcast. Well, in general, we... Podcast? Ha- not, I, I've Do gone, we even call oh, it oddcast anymore? Okay, well, so, okay, let's... I, I, I have started taking the word podcast, and the reason why is at this point, it is no longer really associated with the Apple products. The Apple products that were called pod and iPods are long gone. So there's no reason not to take back ownership of the word. Completely genericize the darn thing. Make sure that pod just means pod, not iPod. I think it's okay to use you it. You don't now. think that there's any nice advocacy for AUG file format? I am not so worried. The patents on MP3 yeah. are expiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't I don't think there's that necessar- necess- necessity. But I used to say, uh, as one of our listeners likes, Oddcast, A-U-D cast. Is how I would say it, but it sounds kind of like Oddcast, so it kind of worked. Yeah, because you could be saying either one. But I'm I'm just calling it a podcast. We call it the Faithcast. That's Faithcast. our that's our we're at Faithcast on, <laughs> on the Twitters, like the kids use the kids use today. Well, nobody, no kids are using Twitter. What are the kids are using the I Instagrams? Mean, maybe they are using Twitter still, but I don't even know what I, the kids are using. We're so old, we don't even know what the kids are using. That's if a, kids that are listening, can you please tell us what you're using? What proprietary technology that puts all your stuff in the cloud and ruins your life? What, which one do you use? What are you going to let ruin your life? Because you know better than we do. <laughs> well, I think you just said you know better than them because you told them it's going to ruin their life. No, no. I mean, I think that young people today fully understand the technology that they're using in a way that uh, people, you know, a, a little bit older didn't really understand at the same age. You're probably correct. But I think that we're also understanding the technology we're using because we're finding that we can't use free software anymore. Right. And therefore... We have to talk about it because we're doing keynote. This we are, is our doing, second. Right, right. As 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 you faithful listeners will have heard, we were we are um, recording these casts in preparation for the keynote that we're going to deliver at FOSDEM. And this whole process is going to help us refine what we're going to talk about. Last time we said sure we were going to so. previously on Fifecast, <laughs> and this time we're actually in person together. So previously on Fifecast. We were separately recording remotely, and uh, today we are here at LinuxConf Australia, which has been an amazing conference. That's not the previously on. You're supposed to do the previously on. I, d- I did. Okay. I don't think you should do previously on. So I, I'm going to say previously on Faithcast, we talked in detail about one specific kind of point in our talk. And what was that? This is like a quiz. <laughs> I'm like trying to remember what we talked about last time. <laughs> but we, I remember last time we said that we were going to do some homework and we were going to come back and we were going to talk about all the things that we, uh, all the, the software that we, we're going to, we're going to make our confessions on this podcast. Yeah, Have you done your homework? Well, I remember. Because to be honest, I haven't really done mine. But I remember. Well, we think about it all the time. The proprietary so, software that I'm using. Yeah. So uh, last time I read out the abstract, we talked about using your heart device and having to get your heart device. Yep. Uh, and 
some of those issues. And what we promised for this show, which we're about to do, is we promised to start talking some about the proprietary software that we've ended up using and why and how it's and for me anyway my story is more about how about the the constant creep uh or you know march off the cliff of using more and more proprietary software yeah for a little while we were i think we were kind of golden we had it kind of under control we were using very minimal both of us were using very minimal proprietary software i was using the um uh i was using the proprietary software in my heart condition uh, i mean my heart device uh uh, but and beyond that, we were using the uh, a proprietary bits connected to the radio on our phones, um, and then we had not much else. Yeah, I, well, and I mean, you know, is... like proprietary software when we took out money from bank machines and things like that. Well, I was trying to say last time, which we we put on hold to this time. I think a lot of things started with the HTC Dream, in fact, uh, because before that, I was using mobile phones that were. They probably had a firmware, but whether it was electronically upgradable was an interesting question. Uh, it didn't have that many features. Uh, the mobile phones of the 1990s uh, were general, which is what I was using, because I used mobile phones for very long periods of time. Uh, I should mention, because this is going to come up multiple times in this conversation, uh, in addition to my ethical beliefs about software freedom, I also care very much about the waste stream issues related to technology. And I also care very much about computers. I often tell the story of when I was trying to get a Commodore 64 when I was a kid and how long I had to wait. I think I've told that on the Faithcast before. And it was very difficult for me to wait to get a computer. And I have this incredible respect for computing technology. I'm very careful with it. I feel I don't see computers as disposable. I see them as uh, like, like musicians see their instruments. Uh, I feel like that where musicians, uh, I remember um, a really famous musician, I forget who it was, was critical of The Who, which I actually do like The Who, but uh, because they would destroy their instruments. And he said, you know, I saved up for my guitar. You know, this is, a, this is an important part of my artistic expression, like the instrument that I use for the artistic expression, and to just destroy it like that just is disrespectful to the form. And so I feel that way about computing as well, computing devices, and I also just don't want them to enter the waste stream until they absolutely have to. Uh, and so I used my equipment for a very long period of time. So as I went through the late 1990s, I was still using kind of a 1994-ish era phone. Actually, and you were too, Karen, as I recall. Yeah, well, well, I was- For different reasons. I but. really used the OpenMoco for a while as my phone. Yeah, but before um, that, you had the the Motorola device for a while. Yeah, that and that you had from like the nineties or way back. Yeah, I had that phone for a very long time. I'm yeah. also a big fan of using equipment for as long as possible. I'm really a fan of using hand me down equipment, so using things that somebody else has purchased, and I think you are too. I try to. I, I yeah. buy a lot of used equipment. It's true, uh, but uh, so the HTC Dream was the first time I was given a brand new device in some time. Google get was giving them uh, the HTC Dream. Uh, phone, uh, the, the very first Android device, they were giving that out heavily at conferences where we were attending to FOSS aficionados, FOSS contributors. And so we received those phones from them. And it was a moment in time when it looked like it was really going to be a free software phone. Android was released as open source at Google, as many people know, acquired that company, released it as open source. Yeah, And it was promoted so heavily at free software conferences that it felt like it was just very exciting. Right. And I, so I sat down with uh, Aaron Williamson, uh, who I worked with, used to work with, and he and I kind of got a, a basic build working. Aaron did most of the work on that, uh, that sort of removed the proprietary bits uh, from the build for the HTC Dream. So it took out the Google apps, um, took out some of the proprietary drivers for things like the, I think the GPS had a proprietary driver. And so it took that out. So it was down to just the only proprietary thing being the baseband firmware. 
firmware, which pretty much are still proprietary on every phone. And that build is actually what I used on the HC Stream for years, even after the Replicant project took off, which uh, I, <laughs> I'm often associated with, but I contributed only the name to the Replicant project. I came up with a name. Uh, it's the only thing I did for Replicant. Uh, I, I renew the domain every year, so I guess I do that every <laughs> year. But that's not very, I, I give $20 a year <laughs> to, to the Replicant project uh, for its domain. But uh, it, it I never even switched that build. I just ran that HTC Dream build that Aaron and I, or mainly Aaron, put together uh, for the entire time I had that phone. And I I was using that phone until, I I think, 2016 is when we switched. Somewhere between 2014 and 2016 is when we finally gave up on that phone, right? Yeah, some I think I think it was, but we used it for so long that there was someone who I know who considered taking a job or like going over to the charitable side of free software, and that person said, "Can I really be? I don't know if I have if I'm legitimate enough to be a uh, an an advocate for free software because I don't want to use an old phone." <laughs> <laughs> and and people would say that as, as we got late in this period, people would send us their old like I, I actually kind of got annoyed. Because I had a we, whole stack. I loved it. Well, so I, great. I liked it at first, and then people realized it was a way they didn't have to worry about e-recycling. I became their e-recycling like a dress for an HTC dream. I think also people feel bad throwing out their old phones. So it perhaps, and most people keep them. And so it makes them feel good. Like they're doing something. And we really appreciated them yeah. for a long time. One person asked me if they could send me one and they sent me six. And I was like, okay, um, never send Bradley your old phone, send them to me okay. because I'm using, I'm currently using a phone that somebody sent me, okay. which is great. So, uh, but that, that was sort of a way to stay with free software. I, I, we realized it had the proprietary baseband, but it was really easy to say. The only thing proprietary in that phone was the proprietary baseband and it was really for a long time the only proprietary software that we were using generally speaking now there was the of course the the unending uh what we used to call the bios problem uh the the bootloader problem is probably a better name for it because that was a problem all the way throughout and so i was always using for laptops uh lenovo originally ibm and then lenovo based laptops uh, that were uh, the the T series and mostly T series. Some um, more people use the X series and the T series, but I always like the T series ones. And they were that uh, Linux ran on them just well, just great, no problems. But of course, the BIOS was proprietary, always yeah. proprietary. Yeah, and I did. I mostly did, except that I took a break when I joined the GNOME Foundation as executive director. I felt like I really needed to be running a laptop that someone could purchase for themselves and have it delivered with GNOME on it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a real advocacy component because otherwise I was running, uh, you know, I was showing off how great free software is and people would say, oh, well, how do I do that? And they would say, they said, then it's a much longer conversation. And with people who are not so technical, it was much easier to say, oh, you can just go on this website and buy a computer. Yeah, and so the that was sort of the only proprietary software in my life, right? Was that that, that BIOS and, uh, and the baseband firmware on the phone. And that, that situation even got better because when the core boot project, uh, got far enough along, um, of course, there's the Libre boot fork, which is basically more or less deblobbed, uh, core boot, uh, because core boot does give blobs for proprietary things. But on some of the Lenovo models, namely the X200, uh, you could run a hundred percent free software. So uh, there was a period of time there where I had what this laptop I still use now, which is the X200 running all free software, which it does, from bootloader up, Atheros use as the, the Ath, Ath, or Ath 9K chipset wireless card, so free firmware on the wireless card, 
and all free software from Debian and my phone running everything. So the only thing for a while there in my life proprietary was the baseband firmware. Yeah. Those were golden days. And those were golden days. So Karen, why don't we take a break and let them reminisce on the golden days and we'll come back with Sounds the good. dark ages. Dun dun dun. So Karen, let's let's talk about the dark let's, the dark ages. Let's confess. Um, so, well, so I have a fun little thing, like a little levity before we get. How is it ever fun to before use we proprietary get software? Deep and dark. It's that I um, is that there's proprietary software on my pinball machine, and you mentioned the Who earlier, and my pinball machine is a is a Who Tommy pinball machine, and that's got tons of like that's got lots of proprietary software in it. That's like a little fun thing. Yeah, when all and all those pinball firmwares are all proprietary. I mean, that's the thing. There are the, and and the, and it's interesting because there's actually a free software system out there that you can run those firmwares on yeah. using QEMU because they're all x86 based. But and there the are firmwares lots themselves of are still proprietary. Hobbyist projects for different pinball machines and different from different eras. So it's pretty cool. I haven't really had the chance to dive in as much as I want. But on the end, they're all proprietary firmwares, right? Yeah, which is oh yeah disturbing but even more disturbing yeah so now let's get this i thought i could make it fun but of course whenever we're talking about proprietary software it gets dark real fast well and and the thing is is that is that and it's it's the moment where we're getting to the point where and and i i don't gloss over this because i think it's 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 an impossible issue to gloss over and i think it's disingenuous from free software people try to but we're at this moment where the proprietary software and the data proprietary data are intertwined and things are really bad. Yeah. And I think the place that's most obvious is things like navigation, mm-hmm. where the most popular navigation, turn-by-turn navigation system is Google Maps. And it's proprietary in various different ways, because the data set's proprietary, obviously, which is most people complain about, but there is OpenStreetMap, which is a great data set. But the software that navigates you through Google Maps is, frankly, substantially easier to use and better turn by turn and all that stuff Mm -hmm. than what's available with OpenStreetMap. And there's something about knowing that you need to get somewhere. And maybe I I have a story I'm not so sure I should tell, actually, but I have a a very sad story about this that... uh, uh, but uh, but navigation is one of those things that's very stressful. And so people just want something that they know they can rely on that's going to be easy because this is like a very fundamental thing. So you can I, go ahead, tell your story. You guys should tell my story. If you would like to tell your story, I have a similar story. I'll tell after yours. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, the, the, the story about where we've, like, the, the, maybe we should tell the part where we resisted it. For- right. So we spent years, right? So, so Karen and I both spent years trying to resist navigation and, and, it, it, and we would we would help each other, which was so nice. Right. So 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 the first time we really did that was we were in we were in a vehicle that had navigation on it and driving around the two of us in the vehicle together. And neither we both refused to use the navigation system. Now it worked out that, that we were actually in the greater Boston area, namely in near Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I used to live. So I but lived almost 20 years ago so i'm digging back in my brain like i know these streets i used to live here and like slowly i was able to get us to where we were supposed to go just for my own like kind of leaky memory about the streets and area and often we have directions written out in advance right but what i realized about writing directions out in advance is 
I was mainly going to Google Maps and then writing like like D to A conversion of Google Maps, right? Because I would go, I, I would log in, I would get online to search for an address. The first return is the Google Maps return. So I'd be like, okay, well, this is where it, and I'd pull down and of course all the proprietary JavaScript would run to tell me yep. all this, go get Google's yep. proprietary data. So I was really just like, uh, like turning the digital Google Maps into an analog thing with pen and paper. That's true. But on the other hand, you wouldn't, didn't have a device that tracked you that was with you that was turn by turn and tracking everywhere that you were and collecting that information. So there's different, you know, different right. levels and there are, you know. But this is where these kind of slippery slopes come in because you yeah. you sort of like, I feel like I'm resisting, but then it's like, what am I really resisting? I wonder. It wasn't it, a number of times I tried to use OpenStreetMaps and I did pretty good with that sometimes. I mean, because I couldn't get turn, turn by turn. So I would get the OpenStreetMap thing and try to figure out where I was going to go. I did that a couple of times. Um, but after a while, it becomes difficult I think to really to deal with it because because emergencies happen and problems happen and well and that's my story yeah it was really uh, just oh so but the positive thing that I wanted to say was that sometimes when Bradley or I and still are when we're fundamentally lost which I guess only really happened like well anyway uh, we we are available to call each other on the phone and to use web various proprietary software through the web, but to help uh, each other through it. And that is very, very helpful. Um, and it's been, and it's been so nice to feel like, you know, when I'm really desperate that Bradley has my back, but that doesn't work all the time. So for example, there was one time when it's very hard to tell this story actually, but my father, um, had the same heart condition that I have, but he was much older and uh, he had had an event, and he was rushed to the hospital, and my mother called me and said, come to the hospital right away. And I, I mean, it's, I guess it's sad because it's connected to my father's death. There weren't super negative consequences to the software situation, but I was going to a hospital where I didn't really know exactly where it was, and I was so scared that I was going to miss being there for my family and for my father when, and he died during that visit and I was so worried that I wasn't going to find the hospital and it was like you know it was just so poignant of like what are these every time you make a choice like this especially bucking how so many other people in society are making their choices and getting things done that there could have been such serious consequences and if I had missed being able to see my father in the hospital before he died because of my insistence on using as little proprietary software as possible. I don't know how I could have lived with myself. Right. And I think, I think that that's, it's a very painful story and it probably influenced things that happened with me. So uh, again, when my, when one of my parents died, I was in Baltimore and I had the necessity of going around to family members in the greater Baltimore area where I grew up to tell them that she had died in person. Cause that's, we had decided we want to tell everybody in person. And you know, this was, this was relatively recently, only about two years ago. And I already, of course, knew the story of Karen's and I just made the decision. I, I, that morning I had to go do it. I just got up and I drove to a Best Buy, which is the main electronic store on the East, uh, mid Atlantic region uh, where Baltimore is. And I just bought a GPS unit because my dad didn't have one in his car that I was going to be using my dad's car. And I just bought it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's probably the first time, uh, actually, it's probably still to this day, the only time I actively paid a proprietary software license uh, since the early 1990s. 
because uh, I have bought, uh, I say actively because I bought machines that probably had a Windows license with them, but I wasn't, I did not want the Windows license. It was the situation where you're kind of have no choice but to buy the Windows license. Uh, but this was the first time I bought something I knew had a proprietary license and I wanted to take, make, make use of the proprietary license. And, you know, I didn't think twice about it uh, at that point. Uh, because, uh, in, in part, because the certain amount of like shame that like I'm bad finding places, and I hadn't lived in the Baltimore area from at that point. That, that that was even longer ago. So that was more like 35 years I hadn't lived in in Baltimore, and so I, I didn't remember how to get everywhere. So I felt like I just should do this. And so, and I think a lot of people will probably listen to this and say, well, like this is like why are you even struggling with this? We have these devices; they make our lives easier. They take away problems that we used to have, and especially younger people who didn't grow up in a pre-GPS everywhere era, uh, or don't remember what it's like. Like you would have to call and get directions, and they used to go to like when you went on a long trip, you went to AAA, and they gave you little maps and showed you how to go. Uh, and that's why you were one of the reasons you were a AAA member back in the '80s. And people don't know that, of course, because they're because uh, if they if they've never grew up in that era. And I think most people would look at it and say, "Well, that's a bygone era. We don't need that anymore." And I think. I think that makes a lot of pressure. There's a lot of social pressure to be like, why would you put yourself through this stress in, in, especially in a situation like that to not use proprietary software? And, and I think I've always felt that the necessity of doing it was to lead by example, right? So I felt like if I'm going to be a software freedom activist and I'm going to be telling people, you know, say no to proprietary software that I had to be setting an example. And I think what you and I have been discovering in preparing this talk is that it's uh, it, we leading by example as a purist, given how hard it is in society is not going to help anybody because we're actually trying to put forward uh, what a lot of people see as kind of a goofy, unattainable standard, which is like basically inconvenience yourself to the point of like not being able to handle you know, deaths in the family in a reasonable way. Yeah, I used to think that that was part this leadership component. And then it was part knowing where the pain points were, because it was so um, a lot of this proprietary software is so seamless that you don't notice it. And it just fits into your 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 overall lifestyle and technology usage and so by being a purist about it i would i would know wh what what needed to be worked on the most but now we're at the point where it's simply untenable you can't be a purist unless you have somebody else who is doing a lot of important things for you it, it you're offloading that proprietary software usage on someone else so in a way that's what we were doing for each other by using maps on each other's behalf like basically we were kind of using it on behalf of the other person because we were in front of a computer i mean it saved the gps tracking thing it saved the gps tracking thing it limited the extent to which we were incorporating that proprietary software into our lives for every one time i called you there were probably a hundred other times that i asked somebody for directions or found a paper map or something so there was benefit in doing it that way is benefit in doing that way since i still do it quite a bit yeah and, and thank I, you and for I being such a good friend to me i'm giving well, bradley and the a reason, hug the reason you're able to the reason the reason that I'm not do I'm not still calling you is because I've just allowed myself to be eroded in some sense. So related to the buying the buying the GPS unit for driving around Baltimore after my mother died, uh, my father a couple of years later uh, bought me a tablet without asking, uh, which was made me uncomfortable. Uh, it was just an Android tablet and. He wanted to use it to talk to me on Google Hangouts. 
So at that point, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to use this for just Google Hangouts when my father wants to talk to me on Google Hangouts. And I did that for a while. But then the tablet's just sitting there all the time. And then I started having these rationalizations where oh, I would yeah. say, well. And I would add that I, while I resisted that, I was like, in many ways, persona non grata to my uh, to people in my family who wanted to talk to my children. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have video chat. Right. Right. And so, and so like, uh, so at this point it showed up in my house. Like I did not want to agree to the proprietary license, but then I of course had to make a Google account, uh, under a fake name, of course, uh, because you can't use Google Hangouts without a Google account. Oh, is that true? Yeah, that's true. I actually true. didn't realize that. Yeah. But it so makes sense. Then I had to have a Google account. So then I have a Google account attached on this machine. And then suddenly it's really easy to use the maps in bad spots. So suddenly I'm using the maps in bad spots and being somebody who gets very anxious about being lost and who gets lost very easily, uh, which I do. There, there is this comfort level that proprietary software can give you. And I think a lot as I'm watching myself being represented by a proprietary software dot on a proprietary software uh, video display on a proprietary software operating system, because even though it's Android, I don't have the source code for the Android, because remember, Android's not GPL'd. Um, I, here I am <laughs> uh, being comforted by proprietary software. And it makes me think, I, I know it's an exaggeration, but it makes me think about things like 1984. It makes me think about things where we talk about the, the, I think a lot about, so there's this uh, Doug Kennedy's album called give me convenience or give me death. And it was commenting on the commercialism of the 1980s and the obsession with just getting more and more convenient things in your life as if it's some sort of the convenience is a fundamental human right. Yeah. And which the it isn't, of course. And then the way you get <clears throat> used to it. And what I found is that people who are free software activists who, um, you know, who have made that compromise and do carry uh, proprietary GPS devices with them over varying degrees. Um, what I found is that I have a hard time convincing them not to use them when they're with me to find wherever it is that we're going. Mm -hmm. And I find that so frustrating, especially when I have a paper map in my hand and I know which way we want to go. And I'm like, or I know that there are loads of people who can direct us in the right direction and, and people will understand us and it will be okay. And yet people are, the, the friends that I'm with are, are, are almost always insistent that they use this proprietary software to get the job done. And it's frustrating, but I understand how it happens and because already, I, I do it in other areas. Right. And we've already been in situations where I've had this tablet with me and we've done that, right? It happened at LCA recently, uh, where we were in LinuxConf Australia, where it's, you know, it was much easier to get around having that tablet. And that was, it's, it's, it's difficult for me. And, you know, I'll even admit that it got to the point. So I don't have a television down in where our bedroom is. And I've admitted to watching, you know, the, my, and my wife has a Netflix account. So it's like easy to activate the Netflix account because they're set up to use in a household. And so why not just put on Netflix instead of having to buy a TV to put downstairs, which will probably be violently GPL anyway, if I buy it, um, and, and set up my Cody box so that I can get it to downstairs. Like what's the real difference? You know, what's the real difference? Yeah, and I it's think? interesting because I try to set myself in this situation where it's hard to do it so that I use less of it. And that means that it's not always the best answer for me. So like, for example, my kids, some weekend mornings when I have to watch them and I'm really tired, it would be so much easier if I could just put on some TV for them, some show, but I have made it not easy to do this. 
So, like, unless I can find something on YouTube that I can show them some video there, and it's so much effort that I just don't, and I do something else, which is actually maybe a good thing, come to think of it. But there are ups and downs to all of this stuff. But even when you go back to YouTube... And, and, and my kids think of me in many ways as being a Luddite, which is right. so funny because I'm totally in this field because I love technology. Right. And I mean, even when you start talking about things like YouTube, we're at the point now where, yes, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't used it in maybe six months. The YouTube download script still works. But on the other hand... Most of the time you use YouTube, it's through the proprietary JavaScript that's interface. Ab absolutely. So we're getting and to so proprietary JavaScript. Right. And so, and so that's, and that's Which is where. So bad. And, and that, and that's where the slippery slope is most easiest. Like I can actually track every moment of the slippery slope of this tablet that I've had. But with JavaScript, I can't even go back in history and figure out when was the moment. I don't even remember when the moment was when I basically stopped using NoScript. Yeah, well, you remember when Google Maps just became... Yes, I, I, I remember yeah. that, but I don't remember when it was because I so quickly just started turning off NoScript. So I don't know if you've ever seen the joke page that gets loaded. I'm going to put a, a screenshot of it in the show notes of... When you try to look at Google Maps, there was a day, and I don't remember when the day was, Karen. I really No, don't. I remember the feeling, though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that when... You used to be able to look at Google Maps without JavaScript. It actually worked. And then there was a day when you went to Google Maps and it brought up this image that said, when you've eliminated the JavaScript, all you have is an empty page. And it's a picture of a Sherlock Holmes-like character. And the fact that some engineer at Google thought that was funny, that what you should have if you don't run proprietary software is emptiness. That was so disturbing to me that a, a company where many people I know work who care about free software, but there's at least one engineer who thinks it's a joke if you don't want to install proprietary software that thinks that you're empty and should be. And so uh, that really like affected me. But then on the other hand, right, it doesn't have that anymore, by the way. Oh, I can't find it anymore? I, I don't think it has the, the Sherlock Holmes reference okay. anymore. Well, I'll have to look for it. Hopefully somebody saved it online yeah. um, so I can find it for the show notes. I have promised it for the show notes. I'll have to do some digging. But uh, what I actually did, so I have a browser well-configured with no script. Uh, my, my, my Firefox default browser, well-configured with no script, um, has lots of no cookies, no accepted cookies, settings. All I, I basically took every, every um, uh, basically... No script thing available, plus everything Mozilla had as regards to privacy is all turned on. Mm -hmm. So it's like the most private browsing experience ever. And I rarely use that browser anymore. And the reason why is because almost no site works with it anymore. Yeah. Because I'm either – it's and I actually – the problem is, is that if you want to do no cookies and no JavaScript – so, I mean, for two different reasons. The cookies thing is a privacy thing, and the JavaScript thing is a proprietary software thing, mm -hmm. although they intersect because the JavaScript's often the thing that's invading your privacy. And if I want to use that browser, like, I will spend upwards to 25 minutes to get a page to load to figure out, okay, what's the min set of JavaScript and min set of cookies from which sites I have to allow to get this page to load. So I actually am compromising there too, where I'm just mostly running all my browsing in Chromium in incognito mode, figuring, well, at least it's incognito, so the cookies all get deleted as soon as I exit mm -hmm. the browser. But of course, NoScript doesn't even work in Chromium mm -hmm. because the authors of Chromium, which basically upstream is Chrome, it's just the, the, the free software, for, the full free software fork of it, 
don't have the hooks to make a NoScript plugin. What? Because they don't believe a browser should exist in the world without JavaScript. That there's no point in running a browser that does not support Which JavaScript. Which is kind of true, because if you want to do anything via the web, you've got to use proprietary JavaScript. I mean, I, which is wrong, and it should be changed, but when you're realistic about what the world is right now, that's the world we live yeah. in. We got to, if you want to book a flight, if you want to interact with your bank, if you want to do anything at all that's remotely useful via the web, which, if you don't do, basically means that you have to spend a tremendous amount of time. So, actually, that's what I want to transition to in the next episode. So, Karen, coming up with the next episode, let's tell them all about how we have to, or we don't have to, but we choose to compromise for actually getting operations done, logistics done, particularly for ourselves, uh, but not just particularly for ourselves, but also for conservancy. And so in the next episode, we'll kind of explore that. Let's do it. That's, I think, the next important piece. And then hopefully at the end of that episode, we can start to get to figuring out, uh, re you really pull back the curtain, and, and at the end of that episode, we'll maybe be able to talk about like how we're going to put this all together for a talk because I'm not really sure about that yet. But I've got we'll, some ideas. We'll dig into that <laughs> in the next episode of Freeze and Freedom. But before we go, Karen, uh, for this episode, let's uh, tell people how they can find out more about our show and oh, good idea. donate to Conservancy. So Karen and I both, uh, as we've mentioned many times on the show, work for the Software Freedom Conservancy. sfconservancy.org. And while the show has been a thing that pre-existed, uh, both of us, well, not both of us working for Conservancy, um, but almost, uh, and is very much a activity that we do to help promote uh, the work that we do for free software. We're funded, uh, Karen and I, through Software Freedom Conservancy, which is a 501c3 charity. You're and, looking at me expectantly, but and, I'm not sure what else you want to say. And people can donate by visiting sfconservancy.org slash supporter and become a supporter of Conservancy. We would deeply appreciate it. We've made the decision related to the, uh, the content of our recent shows. We have made the decision to create a Twitter account for the project. It's at faithcast, F-A-I-F-C-A-S-T. That's Foxtrot Alpha Indigo, Foxtrot <laughs> Charlie Alpha Sierra Tango. And if you want to interact with us there, we can. I admit that we don't log into it very much, but at least it will tell you when the new shows come out and so forth. And the website is faif.us if you want to subscribe to our RS feed and listen to the show. Thanks for listening. Free as in Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of danlynch.org. That's D-A-N-L-Y-N-C-H dot O-R-G. The Free as in Freedom theme music was written by Mike Tarantino and is performed by Mike Tarantino with Charlie Paxton on drums. You can learn more about our work at the Software Freedom Conservancy at the website sfconservancy.org. Conservancy is a 501c3 charity and is supported by your donations. An RSS feed for this show is available from faith.us. That's F-A-I-F dot U-S. All episodes of Free as in Freedom are licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Is that what it's called? Yeah, they have pictures of ducks that you dine with. I don't think that's true. She doesn't believe me. No. We're going to put it in. So we're going to put in the show notes. You're going to see the pictures of ducks. Ducks dining? Ducks. We're ducks dining.